Hello and welcome to podcast number 24, Making Sense of Podcast. Um, I'm joined by today a few members of the team, so I'm joined by Bex, Heather and Antonia. Hello. Hiya. Hello. Hello, hello. Um, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about this next, the next few podcasts that we're going to be doing. So we decided that we wanted to talk about addiction. So we work in addiction and we'll, you know, addiction treatment, and we'll talk about that a bit later on, um, obviously. But I wanted to just like say something around the fact that we are wanting to do a little mini series. So we're going to be exploring different aspects of addiction to drugs and alcohol and kind of addiction more broadly and maybe looking at um, some of the different models and different ways of looking at addiction that I think quite often people don't really know of or maybe sometimes they don't really think about. Um, and um, the other thing I wanted to say was that we are quite deliberately using the word addiction. So I wanted to just say something about um, the word addiction, maybe that's a good place to start. And in the sector, the kind of jargon is substance misuse, um, sometimes called substance use, which I actually kind of disagree with actually, because I think that there's a difference between use and misuse. Um, there's also, it's also called substance abuse, which I think is quite an American term. Mm. And I do remember once in my younger years in the sector, calling somebody up and saying that I work in substance abuse and she had a bit of a go at me and told me, lectured me at the reasons why you can't abuse a substance. So we're not using that term. Um, and for a long time, myself and Liz had a real problem or a real difficulty with the word addiction. Um, and maybe we'll, we'll kind of get into that a little bit, but I think that a couple of years ago, we just thought that it was getting too problematic and too much of a mouthful to just say, oh, a person affected by substance misuse or a person with a history of substance misuse. And we just thought actually it's a real shorthand and a real shortcut um, to just say addiction because that's what people know, people are familiar with the term. So that's what we're going with. And that's generally what, we've, what we go with as a charity now. So we wanted to talk about addiction today. And I guess one of the things that, or, or a way of starting this conversation off is a bit of a statement. And I'm really curious to just like chuck a statement into our group before and just see where we take it and see where we go with it. And the statement is, so at Foundation of Change, we work with addiction. At Foundation of Change, we don't work with addiction. <laughs> That's like the philosophical paradox. Uh, as it is. Uh, what do you make of that? I love starting with a riddle, you know. Yeah. How like long is it? Then Cohen. What's the sound of one hand clapping? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, there's so much to be said about this, isn't there? It's it's really kind of one of them where oh, do we only have like under an hour oh my god um for, <coughs> excuse me for me um i suppose it says that addiction or the substances aren't necessarily the issue there's something more going on there that's all i'm going to say about it right now mm, mysterious I guess I would say that it just introduces the options that there's so much more. Um, so you kind of might necessarily think of one specific thing to do with addiction, but you know, we kind of work unwrapping so much more than, than that specific issue, like unpacking it a lot. So what do you mean? Like we're kind of saying that we work 
are you referencing the drugs and alcohol and saying that we also work that addiction exists to other things and we're just working with drugs and alcohol or my we well this is like working with drugs and alcohol i mean that's the kind of end product isn't it of the addiction so we're kind of working with like what happens before the why you know not not just the end result um of picking up the pieces but kind of like unpacking why you know we've kind of got the issues that make us you know addicted to substances in the first place i guess yeah 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 sorry we're in shoreditch or two of us are in shoreditch so it's the the soundtrack of hackney <laughs> um for me that statement is so addiction would maybe get you into a place where you need to do some work on that addiction but moving forwards away from that addiction, it becomes not about the substance that you're addicted to, but more like you move away from that. The substance is like no longer the central thing that it was before. It becomes something we've left behind. And then there's so much more work to do after that. Does that make sense? Or is that too long-winded? I think so. Are you saying... Uh... Are you saying, tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth, are you saying that actually like when you're working with your addiction, when you're kind of trying to sort it out, giving it up is only kind of half of what you need to be doing? Yeah, it's it's kind of the thing that gets you the attention and the help, your addiction. If someone's addicted to drugs or alcohol, that's normally seen as a, right, we need to help this person. And so they get you off of that. And that's just the beginning after mm -hmm. that. You don't work with that substance anymore. You work with yourself as a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a nice way of putting it. I would also say, adding on a bit now, it's like we, you know, we work with addiction. When we say don't work with addiction, because like the human condition is is like everyone that that everyone would probably benefit from what we do, rather than just people who are addicts. I remember being with some friends a while back, this was like a couple of years ago, and I was like kind of ranting about what we actually do, because I think that, yeah, I mean, you know, we work with people who have had histories of being addicted to drugs and alcohol, but we don't talk about that because, it, you know, financial change, we just see it as being a symptom of something much deeper. And then, so the question is like, well, what is that thing that's at the root? You know, what are the kind of root causes? And, you know, one of the things is trauma, of course, a really huge thing. But I remember like ranting and saying like, it's about existential brokenness. <laughs> and, and I was kind of, and then I said it and it was, it was a bit of a joke. And I was just like, it's really stuck because actually we're all broken by the very fact that we exist. Do you know what I mean? And some people kind of like heal their brokenness through drugs and alcohol, and some people heal their brokenness through overwork, and some people heal it through, I don't know, kind of buying shit and kind of, you know, we're all trying to kind of, I guess, deal with some level of brokenness and, and picking up on others, but like, yeah, we all could benefit from what we do. Yeah, I mean, we we spoke about broken systems a, a while back in one of, in you know one of our podcasts or a few of our podcasts, and it's you know we're all kind of living in in somewhat of a broken society, and how we how we deal with that and fit in into that is you know how is what we kind of like look into, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And also, sort of understanding that 
okay, you know, there is a, a reason why people use drugs and alcohol. It's not just because, you know, they, they bloody love it. Um, it's treating something. So you're kind of like self-medicating and like, okay, that's all well and good. And like Antonio saying, you, you stop the drugs and alcohol, but what really is kind of, um, what, what, what is that symptom? And it's exactly, I suppose, what, what you were saying as well, Bob, is cognitive dissonance. This idea that, you know, there are conflicting kind of like values and beliefs to who you actually are in the world. Like, you know, um, what say if like you grew up, like, you know, in a family which really just didn't kind of like accept homosexuality, and you were gay and so therefore you changed kind of like who you were in order to fit into your social structure and so that just leaves like so much damage you imagine not living that fulfilling life and like being who you are and you know learning to kind of like keep yourself down and quiet and it just causes this like internal unrest and you know I think the consequence of that is, you know, self kind of medicating, um, or it can be self-medicating through um, things like drugs and alcohol, even gambling, um, just really all addiction issues. Um, and it just kind of internally keeps that voice down, but only for a short while. And so it's like, yes, we work with addiction um, because we work with people who are have experienced addiction issues. Um, and they have taken drugs and alcohol to relieve feelings of distress and discomfort. Um, and so that's kind of where it ends. And, um, you know, what we really do is like, you know, what everybody said before. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to repeat everybody's. Hey, you're, 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 yeah, can you say it again? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yes, what we do is we look underneath. <laughs> I mean, yeah, ultimately, you know, we're, I always just think like we're all change, trying to change the way we feel at various points in our lives and at various points even during the day. Do you know what I mean? Like get up in the morning, have a coffee, like you're changing how you feel or you just kind of reach for the chocolate at some point or whatever. Like it, that's like a small scale kind of thing. But I think, um, yeah, like drugs and alcohol like are a way, like you were saying, to kind of change how you feel and escape from those feelings of pain and the question is like not why you escape in that stuff like of course like everyone wants to no one wants to sit in pain mm. and the question is like well, why was that pain there in the first place mm. which is what we try to get to the bottom of isn't it absolutely and you know doing that kind of i think in a, a sort of group setting ex uh, sharing experience with other people but understanding it either through the lens of like you know feminist theory or um psychological uh so, you know psychology models um or theory you know it is it's really powerful looking back at your own situation um in life like who your community was looking at the world around you understanding the system you live in um and consequently um, doing that with other people, like, you know, in group work and seeing kind of like the very different life experiences and situations that people had is, is really kind of quite, um, it, it's probably one of the best ways to learn, if I'm honest, than instead of reading a self-help book, which would tell you, you know, all the information that you, you might need to know. Um, but I just feel kind of like 
learning from other people um, and having kind of like a bit of a, a framework, which, you know, for instance, on psychology for change could be attachment theory and understanding kind of like, you know, the attachment to your, your caregivers and subsequently how you form attachments later in life. You know, you can understand that yourself individually, but hearing other people's experiences and, um, you know, the, the, the difference of kind of like, people's life kind of yeah experiences no other word for the experiences um really just uh can be change of perspective see the world through a different set of eyes and also and also you know there's that that connection isn't there like with the groups that we run there's that connection with people who, who've got like the shared experiences and the connection with with you know what is taught and that kind of like you were just saying, you know, certain things that you'll learn and look at your own life. And it, and it's like if you've never seen it, a light shone on certain aspects, it's, it's, it's kind of like a revelation of like, oh, OK, that really explains why, you know, I'm kind of ambivalent or to get close to people or, you know, it kind of makes sense of things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to kind of have look, looked at in, in a certain way. But yeah, the connection as well, obviously, when we were doing um, person in-person groups, that was massive, you know, because the whole thing, isn't it? Like they, they say about addiction is the lack of connection. Mm. Mm. And building those connections and trust with people that, that, you know, you actually, even though you're completely different people from different backgrounds, you've got the shared experience. Yeah. Which is, uh, it's quite massive. Huge, yeah. I'm trying not to like make this um some kind of like finish things like hugging <laughs> podcast, but I can't really help it. Uh, yeah. I just thinking actually, like you know, one of the things that we say, you know, here is is um, it's, you know, it's kind of one of our values as an organisation is seeing substance misuse or addiction as a rational response to trauma. And from what I know and can tell from having worked in the sector for 16 years, like I think. For someone to come through our doors and to hear that a really different from what they maybe have heard before in treatment because i think drugs and alcohol are usually demonized and for you know to be in an environment i mean it's not like we have slogans all over the wall that says it but you know like i think to be in an environment where like that is said it's also kind of that is the kind of the culture here like i think that's a very takes a lot of the stigma away from it i think it helps people to just think like oh, okay makes total sense why I used drugs and alcohol and substances in the way that I did. Yeah, completely normal normalizes it to a certain degree. Um, and, you know, it's the same as decriminalizing drugs and alcohol and sort of taking the criminal element away from it and seeing it as kind of like, you know, um, more of a mental health problem. Um, as as way as kind of like understanding that, you know, using drugs and alcohol is, um, you know, sort of a, a response or a kind of way to, to soothe tra trauma. Um, you know, it yeah, you're right, it takes the shame out of it. The fact that, you know, people are like, oh God, you know, how, how could you do that? Like, how could you use drugs and alcohol? You know, there's so much weird rhetoric, rhetoric around there, which is like, it's almost seen as a weakness. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that really can just seep in to like every pore of your being and just leave you with so much like, you know, not only shame, but just failure. Like, you know, 
God, I wasn't strong enough. Like, how can I? It's just not about that. It's, um, you know, I think you, you're right. And we do have to talk about it in, um, in, in connection with our courses. And, you know, I experienced it myself hearing that um, doing the course. And I just, God, I never thought about it like that before. Oh, my God. So you're saying that, you know, I use drugs and alcohol in order to, you know, kind of, yeah, basically self-medicate trauma. It just allowed me to move on in some respect and drop all of that kind of, yeah, shame. Mm. I think shame is a massive thing. You feel when you like stop using drugs or alcohol, you're embarrassed and you're ashamed and you have a lot of guilt. Because I think trauma is a reason why you might have started in the first place. But I think being an addict or alcoholic is traumatic. If you're doing that for a long time, you get a lot of trauma through being in active addiction. And so to be told that that's all rational and there was reasons for it and it was a way of surviving is like liberating because you're like, you're made to feel so shit about it, especially in a lot of treatment centers. It's like, look what you've done. You're like presented with all the shit that you've done. And it's just apologizing and feeling shit about it. You know, it's horrible. Mm. yeah how does that play out like in like you said in a treatment center it's dark it's name dark no stuff. names yeah. it's just like I think I've talked about it in other podcasts about how um a lot of rehabs have family days so all the families will come in and they get given a chance to tell you a list of stuff that you've done whilst you were an addict in front of everyone else. So in front of everyone else that they're in treatment with. So, and they, they can't say anything back. They have to listen to the whole thing. And then that's just it. It's a chance for the families to basically tell you what a piece of shit you are, which is so shameful and so embarrassing. And I can never understand what they think that that would achieve. Yeah, like what is the thought behind that? Are they thinking that it's just, going to repair the bonds because it gives the family a chance to say what they feel maybe or it's like is it trying to shock you into such so you're so mortified that you'll never like use again because you will remember the things that they said to you I don't know what did you see what did you see like some family saying oh just awful stuff about how a guy had like driven with his kids in the car and crash the car and you, you get to hear about all this really embarrassing stuff about these people that you've met in rehab and it's like you know their families come in and like wave their dirty laundry in front of your eyes and then you kind of can't look at each other again because you know all this dark stuff about their addictions it's not a nice day and you think a process like that should be a little bit more long and drawn out like, you know, the actual kind of like families coming back together and communicating and talking about this stuff isn't just something you do like in a chair over an hour. It's something that takes a while because you need to like work on things like communication. Like, you know, you need to understand like, you know, what kind of, how, how it is your, your, what position you play within your own family structure. Um, and also what position families play. And so it feels like that's really blamey. I don't know, it would just be like you're sitting there and then it's your, as you say, guilt and, you know, embarrassment. Like I couldn't imagine coming away feeling anything else apart from I, I, how has that fixed any dynamics? 
which are so embedded within that family structure. Do you know what I mean? This is it, isn't it? And in a way, this is kind of why we wanted to talk about this stuff, because I feel like addiction is just very, um, you know, the way that addiction is understood on a kind of like societal kind of level is also then how it's understood in, you know, by governments and then also by kind of treatment centres and, I think, like, I mean, it's always really interesting, like in the old days of, of pre-COVID, when I used to get to like dinner parties or whatever and meet people, it was just always really interesting to like hear people's responses because you'd always, I'd always get a sense of like what people think about addiction or what people think about rehab and like what they think happens in rehab. And, and um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are really clueless for a start, which is, you know, it's not, you know, for a lot of people, there's no reason why they should know this stuff. But I think like it's just really interesting how how addiction is understood as being this kind of evil thing gets filtered down into, for instance, like treatment systems and families, and you know it's influenced by the media, and you know there's this kind of reinforcing of all these negative. You know, no one is saying like I'm really glad that like um, Gabo Mate is kind of saying that very similar stuff to us um, around yeah like we need to change how we understand addiction not just rhetoric not just as you say that kind of usual filtering of like you know you see something on tv about how addiction is and then that just becomes filtered into kind of like society's idea of like how treatment works what addiction is and then it just becomes buzzwords echoed by the government or people in power um and so i feel like having vocal voices which help change kind of the perspective on why people use drugs and alcohol and what addiction is, is, is helpful, you know? Um, it raises awareness around those issues. Yeah, and it's kind of like, at its most basic, I think to me, it's about kind of elevating conversation beyond like good and bad. Yeah. Because it's, you're taking judgment out of it. It's not some kind of moral view. I think, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that is very kind of emotive and especially when it's when it's um, in the papers or in the news, it's a very one sided kind of like dynamic of kind of good or bad, you know, and the nuance isn't there. And the same with like we we're saying back in like in media and, and dramas and things like that you know sometimes uh, it's getting better I think but the nuance isn't there and the depth isn't there of you know the reality of it it is like again with the, the good or the bad or you know you're if you're you're lacking moral fiber you mm. know it's very much back to this kind of historical attitudes of kind of like you know good or bad you're, you're a good or bad person you know not looking into kind of like why you don't have the resilience to deal with life like normal you know inverted commas exactly. people do you know yeah I was thinking the other day like um my first job when I was uh, 15 which I think is illegal um <laughs> was working in a pharmacy and I remember I was my auntie's pharmacy and I just wow yeah, job. <laughs> I'll talk about that in a second but like I was so interesting because I remember um I was fascinated by the like the what do they call it the controlled medicines cupboard? <laughs> no, what? <laughs> what? 
because it was just kind of like like locked covered and then there was like every time like something was dispensed like you had to kind of make sure that like you kind of like monitored every single tablet or every single mill of methadone that was going out and what was fascinating for this little 15 year old kid was there was this kind of book which seemed to like date back to victorian times i'm sure it didn't but it was just like really aged pages and you kept clicking back and like the writing changed to the owner of the pharmacy before it was like in this kind of like script that was very like victorian <laughs> um and anyway but i remember um i remember um aside from the kind of fascination with the cupboard i remember like there was this guy that used to come and collect his methadone and i was just thinking like god that was actually my first kind of encounter with like an, you know an addict or like someone with, with you know kind of trying to sort this addiction out um, and he was always late. So he would always come like when we'd locked up. So we would just like the lights were off, we were just about to go. And then he would like be banging on the door. And I remember being terrified because I think I was so influenced by a lot of the kind of depictions of like particularly heroin, like, you know, smack is bad and heroin is evil. And you take it one, you're gonna be an addict for life, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I remember I was just thinking about it and thought like, God, it was so, you know, I didn't think like, well, of course he hasn't got his shit together and can't come on time because, you know, his life isn't that straightforward. And, um, but I remember just this kind of like jarring kind of feeling between like what, you know, this guy who was coming to pick his medicine up and and how I felt without any, you know, based purely on not experience, but on messages that I was getting from outside. And then just to kind of counter that a little bit, the other thing that, that was, Kind of really interesting to me which you know so that image that i had of like addiction didn't last that long because the other thing we used to sell was codeine linctus and kaolin and morphine and so we also had to like like monitor who was coming in to buy codeine linctus and kaolin and morphine and i remember this guy would like keep coming in and so at one point i had to refuse him because he kept you know he'd had more than his quota for his cough medicine <laughs> for the week um, and so, so I kind of was faced with these two kind of like, you know, addicts for want of a better word. Like one was this guy who always showed up late um, and kind of like, you know, looked a bit scary to me. But then there was this other guy who used to show up in a, you know, suit and tie and very well presented and would just come and buy his Cody and Linkers. Um, and uh, yeah, like two forms of addiction. But so it's like really early on, I was just like, okay, this is not as straightforward as I've been led to believe. Mm. It was really such an interesting job. It is. I was like, for some reason, I was envisaging you having the keys to the controlled meds cabinet and like, you know, at <laughs> 15. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I knew what they were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, fascinating. I think that like you were saying, you know, there's there's certain ideas of addiction and addicts, isn't there, that um, uh, are still kind of like, pumped out and the fact that I think if you've got money or you wear a suit there's very much I mean it's been proven you can see you know in numbers you can see statistically with you know criminality and 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 sentencing that if you're you know work in the city and you've got a massive coke habit you will definitely won't be going to prison whereas if you're you know smoking crack then you're more than likely to be going you know to be incarcerated it's it's there you know it's there actually uh, and it doesn't seem to be like how is that even allowed that we're treated people are treated differently um depending on their drugs or depending on their their life yeah their 
ability to to pay the fine or you know reminds me of the Jeremy Kyle show do you remember that when he used to have addicts on and it was awful because yeah he'd have like people's families come on they were like oh we've got this son he's addicted to heroin and they'd bring the bring the son on and the son had to sit there on the stage while he kind of went through all the shitty stuff he'd done as an addict in a way to prove how much he needed treatment at the end of the episode they'd if he earned it enough and if he revealed all of the shitty stuff he'd done then they were like cool we're gonna send you to treatment I think a lot of people's opinions on addicts they get from the Jeremy Carr show, these like scumbags that have just damaged everything and everyone. Didn't he get done for like, didn't someone commit suicide on the show and then? Yeah. And he stops good. He used to have really vulnerable people on his show and kind of make them sit there and yell at each other. And someone obviously went home and couldn't handle it and killed themselves. And so they took him off air for good. Really vulnerable people, it's like bear baiting. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's that thing of like um, how this plays out and the role of the addict in society as the kind of the scapegoat. So you might have some, you know, family member who's sitting in this chair and on the Jeremy Carl show, like addicted to whatever he or she talks to. Um, but it means that, you know, the family members who are pointing fingers and kind of saying what a shameful example of a human being that person is don't have to look at the fact that maybe they're drinking a bottle of wine every night or, you know, kind of who else, you know, who knows what else they're doing. But like, it's just that thing of, you know, on a, on a grand, on a big scale, like that's, yeah, classic scapegoating. You know, people in the city who can, you know, take loads of cocaine and, and drink loads of booze and get smashed and, you know, do all that stuff. Like, it's not considered a problem for a lot of them also kind of like you know your circumstance comes into it like for instance if you have wealth you can book yourself into a nice like five star retreat in um you know Bora Bora or something like that and or you can like do as many stints in rehab get all the therapeutic support um and so therefore you know you're able to kind of I, I don't know manage your addiction um and then like people who you know you guys are talking about on the Jeremy Carl show come from quite, you know, um, multiple disadvantaged backgrounds. You know, it's not that they're crims or they're addicts. Actually, they're people who, you know, have grown up in poverty, um, you know, probably have lacked the opportunity to, you know, get like an education, weren't able to go to school because maybe their parents didn't bloody take them to school. And so it feels like that's where the stigma, that's where it becomes very stigmatized is, you know, and you're right, Jeremy Carl was awful, abusive, kind of like no understanding of how addiction should work. Um, and so what happens is like, you know, it's that whole thing about the revolving door of treatment. And it's like, well, what is actually in place? And I know we'll probably go into this in another podcast um, when we look at like politics behind kind of, you know, recovery is what is in place actually out there to help people manage um, kind of treatment who who just don't have the means you know and the wealth behind them so it just yeah it feels it feels like you know it's really important to understand the how the difference between kind of um being able to access treatment if if you've got yeah the financial stability there is and i guess that's what we were saying earlier like even then the I don't want to kind of bitch out treatment too much, but like, I think there are still a lot of kind of treatment centers that do the kind of, like you were saying, Antonio, like the kind of family shaming or, 
the demonizing of drugs and that kind of stuff you know it's like actually to me it's about the narrative that needs to be changed of course about accessibility of treatment as well but like there's no point in having loads of treatment somebody can access if the, if the kind of uh, narrative in those treatment centers is quite toxic yeah or harmful or negative yeah yeah I was going to say, like a lot of treatment centers, um, they just focus on the substance you're addicted to. I think that's like the first thing that needs to be dropped. As soon as you've obviously been detoxed and your mind's come back, like forget about talking about that. You don't need to go through all the horror stories of your using. You need to go back to what we were saying before, like you're learning about your attachment and your childhood and how you grew up, because that's where your addiction kind of took root in your brain or something to root in your brain that needed to kind of grab onto something to like cope with. But it, you spend a lot of time talking about alcohol. I did in rehab, we talked about alcohol like all the time. I'd stopped drinking. So I was like, why are we still talking about this? Mm. What do you mean like kind of war stories? Yeah, I, I think people, it maybe brings people together because at least that's a common theme in rehab. You were all addicts, so you talk about it quite a lot. But it doesn't really help in the long run. Like was there was it, a lot of emphasis on how much you drank a day. It reinforces the idea that what you're taking is the problem. Yeah. Not that you need to understand why you were taking it. And that's the thing which needs attention. Mm. Or maybe how to stop taking it. So they kind of detox you and then they go, now moving forward, these are all the ways that, you know, to, to not take it when you leave here. You never really go back that far or in depth yeah. to equip you well enough with an understanding of yourself. Mm. Yeah, it feels like it just needs a bit of a massive reef, like kind of a reform, doesn't it? Like I know there's some brilliant, like, treatment systems out there once again you know a topic for another podcast episode and and there really really is um and some amazing rehabs but you know I have heard quite a few times that people um have struggled in the treatment system that they exist in um just because you know it hasn't functioned in the way which has helped people kind of get off drugs and alcohol um but like you know why why were you using it in the first place and so yeah you're right you mentioned Gabriel Marte is doing kind of like you know talking a lot about this sort of thing it just feels like yeah it feels like actually some of the oh I don't know yeah wording around all of this it just feels a bit stale needs a bit of a new lease of life and I think as well with the treatment thing as we kind of know the issues of like oh yeah okay you've got an addiction deal with that addiction stop taking that problematic problematic substance and you're cured you know uh, and you can go out skipping along the street and everything's rosy and you know that's obviously a load of bollocks and putting things putting things in place to deal with life on those terms you know life and whatever it throws at you without going back to that crutch that you spent your whole life having there supporting you is is something that um is kind of missing in in a lot of places and the length that that might take and the, the length of support that, that that might take you know is it's not uh, really looked at for anyone listening that's not heather's kettle it's actually the wind because <laughs> <laughs> it's really loud <laughs> well they just have this like image of a kettle in my head i was like oh no it's the wind 
Victorian um, mansion is actually just a shitty, ca shitty cheap council windows. There we go. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna. Everyone's got a like camping kettle in a room. Um, well, thank you, I mean, the other thing I, I did want to say, just in terms of like treatment and stuff, like aside from the kind of like, I do think the narrative needs to be changed. I think it's slowly, slowly is changing with like Gabriel Martin and people like that. But I think the other thing is like without kind of what I'm going to say sounding like too much like a fundraising bid because I quite often write this in funding bids is that you know quite often the work that we do at Furnish for Change like I see that and I think we all see what we do as this kind of missing piece of the puzzle like I feel like you know I feel like there's a real importance to obviously spend time looking at the drugs and alcohol it's, it's really important to spend time you know, stopping and then kind of uh, looking at what you'll do if you get a craving or what if you'll do if you kind of, you're worried about a lapse or, you know, whatever, like, again, still focusing on drugs and the alcohol. But I think what happens then is that people then kind of get kicked out into the street or kind of get, you know, people leave and then that's kind of skipping down the street thing happens that Heather was talking about. And actually, like, I really think that once people have kind of become more stable and have done that work, put the substance down and they're starting to get their heads around this idea of like a drug, a life, the drug without their life, their life without their, their kind of drug, that they do this bit around looking back and looking at the reasons they were using and kind of, you know, like you can't do that shit too early. Has to happen much, you know, you know, I was kind of saying like stuff has been buried away in boxes deep into people's psyches for a reason. If you unpack that stuff too early, it's terrifying. But I just feel like it's sad that actually, like at the moment, we're seen as something which sits outside of treatment, and I feel like it should be this like last little bit of the the treatment journey with fringe. <laughs> and like Heather said, sort of at the beginning, you know, I, I, you're absolutely right, um, and I do think like this sort of education really should be accessible for everyone. Um, I think you know it's really important to I think even without you know you might not be experiencing addiction issues but you it's exactly the conversation we're having at the start which is around there are other ways to kind of self-soothe or, or self-medicate mm. and so you know I, I feel like one thing which is really missed you know especially in society is people like you know I don't have a drug and alcohol addiction I have never never you know used alcohol problematically but you know you can see it you can see that so-called yeah inverted commas normal people um you know there are other ways that they manage difficult and complicated emotions um and so you know addiction is just another example of that and you know this is uh, i was just thinking actually you know when it was really at the beginning about why we don't use the word addiction i think it's because in some ways i think addiction as a word is problematic and should maybe just be scrapped because I feel like what, you know, so say like what you're talking about, so somebody might be addicted to, to drugs and alcohol and, you know, like they need that to survive in their life and that's doing some kind of soothing and it's healing something and it's obviously serving some kind of purpose. And then you have somebody else who might be kind of a really overachiever or like a workaholic or whatever. And like, you wouldn't necessarily call that person like, oh, I'm addicted to work. Do you know what I mean? And so it kind of creates a distinction and actually like the important thing is to look at what's driving it, not what the thing is. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I think the word addiction just, I think it's a bit, throws a bit of a curveball. And I think that's why me and Liz have such a problem like using it for like basically like 15 years. Mm. Um, 
because I think it's better to, or I think it's more helpful to look at um, the what's driving the behavior in the first place. Mm-hmm. And when you uncover that, you start looking at like this existential brokenness or, you know, this kind of uh, this feeling of like not getting needs met when we were kids or, you know, whatever it is. Definitely. You hear that in meetings all the time, like AA meetings. Whenever someone does a share, they always begin with, as a child, I always felt different. And everybody says it. And I'm like, it's not that you felt different because we're all saying we all felt different. It was just like you were missing something or you needed soothing and couldn't find it. And that's what made you feel different. And then look where we are. We're in an AA meeting 20 years later. And I think there is that thing of like trying to fix something. Um, and it could be like negatively, like obviously with sort of like drink and that, which obviously start doesn't start off being a problem you know only when you can't stop it becomes the problem but then there's stuff that you know people do and it's kind of accepted and it's okay to have an addiction to being keep fit or running or doing excessive weights you know because it's seen as not not that bad for you but it's again it's like the detracting from from the the reasons why the escapism and of course you know living in this lovely capitalist society there's there's big money in in addiction and and, you know pissed off people buy more shit you know so like shopping 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 you know i need this i need that i've got to keep up with you know the adverts or the you know these fancy houses that i've got i've got to get my fucking kettle and a toast has got a match oh my god you know it's that's gonna sort my life out (laughs) that'll make me happy but it does bring up this this thing about like who is it that said something about like we're all trying to adjust to you know this idea of being well adjusted but actually the kind of the problem with that is actually like people trying to adjust themselves to a society that effectively is sick Mm. and I was watching something the other day that kind of been raving about this documentary called crazy not insane and it's about serial killers and kind of like um, people, this woman who was trying to understand like why people did the things that they did. And she was trying to kind of like support people on death row and just saying, look, they didn't do this because they were born evil or they were inherently evil. It's really wrong to send someone to the chair and kind of lethal injection or whatever because of, of this idea that they're kind of born evil and actually like look at what happened to these people. And she was just... She, it's incredible. I mean, she just had this, like, you know, all of these different people she worked with, like one of the guys she worked with, you know, she literally just like asked him if he had scars on his body and he took his shirt off and he had like so many scars from where his like parents had like horrendously uh, abused him as a child, like really severe shit happens. Anyway, um, so, so her whole premise is just like actually kind of people end up like that because of the things that happened to them. And then I was having this conversation with my partner about like, you know, kind of this is this is all like recent phenomena. Mm. I'm sure like in kind of hunter-gatherer societies, they weren't plagued by a serial killer <laughs> every now and then. Do you know what I mean? Or like tribes in the Amazon. Like I, I'm sure that like they didn't have a lot of the kind of things that we see in society now because it's they're in response to a society that is sick. Isn't there that saying of like uh, it takes a commu- it takes a village to raise a child? Mm-hmm. It's that thing of like 
having that community around you. So if you were kind of beaten by, you know, a parent, then someone would fucking pull you up for it. You'd get yeah. sorted out for that. Someone else would look after them. You'd go and, you know, the child would be brought up with other people. It would be like the shared responsibility. Whereas now we're in such kind of like small units that we don't have that support from other people, you know? Yeah. Love that. Okay, on that note, I mean, I think it's a good place to stop. We've come to the conclusion that society is the problem, um, which I mean, I kind of, you know, say in a slightly flippant way, but I think it's also relevant because I mean, we don't really talk about this, and I think we'll talk about this in future episodes about the fact that it's really important to look at addiction within the context of not just a person's like family and kind of, you know, culture and stuff like that, but like at a social level. Um, you can't understand it in a bubble. It doesn't exist in a bubble. We're so influenced by what happens in society, which is why a really big part of the work we do, as you know, but listeners might not know, is this kind of idea of linking a person's individual experience with, you know, the kind of wider forces that shape us that come from society. So we'll pick that up again because that's a really huge topic. Okay, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Cool. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob, sir. Thanks. All right.